Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. I'm Natalie Britt and this week we're talking about emotions and feelings. It's part of the Emotions and Feelings mini-series and this is part two of four. Last week we spoke about the difference between emotions and feelings, with emotions being subconscious, instinctive, experienced through the mind and the body, so you have physical and mental markers when you experience an emotion, while feelings are the meaning we give to emotions, so they have a thought component, they are conscious, and they exist only in the mind. That distinction becomes important this week as we figure out what to do with our feelings and our emotions and how to make best use of the power and value they hold. So many of us have huge goals for ourselves. We feel like we have this untapped potential, like there's more available if we could just break through barriers, limiting beliefs, fears that hold us back, all that sort of stuff. And so it's easy to feel that our emotions somehow hold us back or get in the way. But what I've learned is that thinking that way undermines our ability to manage our emotions and to achieve that potential that we feel we have. And so this week, I invite you to think about your emotions differently and in so doing, access the power you hold within you. Here we go. Have you ever heard the phrase, feel the fear and do it anyway? Like fear some kind of idiot who showed up to the party uninvited. And so we have to leave it in the corner and ignore it, pretend it's not there. And if it tries to speak up, just tell it, hey, that's enough out of you. But did you know that without emotions, we wouldn't be able to make a single decision. You wouldn't even be able to choose a sandwich filling without emotions. They underpin everything with regards to our decisions and our behavior because they motivate us towards something we want or like or something we determine to be rewarding in some way and they lead us away from things we determine to be threats. Those can be threats to our survival, to our ego, to our sense of belonging, to all kinds of things. Any threat will lead us to take action to move away from that. And in light of the significance of the value they offer, I started wondering whether there's a better approach than ignoring them or judging them or squashing them. Last week, we spoke about the fact that emotions kick up for a reason. There's always a reason. Now, the challenge is that the reason doesn't always make sense. It's often counterintuitive and it can often lead you away from your goals. The big promotion that requires you to give a presentation in front of 40 people, but you're too scared to do it. Well, that has the capacity to hold you back. So nobody would think less of you for trying to squash that and quiet it so that you could go after that big opportunity. But I started thinking about the times in my life where I've been treated that way, where I've had something that I felt was important to say and then been treated like it wasn't important and it didn't matter or that I was somehow being hysterical or a drama queen or whatever. In those situations, I didn't generally just go, oh, okay, never mind my reactions would generally get bigger and I'd quite often become the worst version of myself. And I think the same happens with emotions too. They come to us with something to say and if we squash or ignore or disrespect them, I think they get louder and they fight harder. And in the case of emotions that have the potential to hold us back, that's not what we want them to do. So an approach I've been trying recently in my own life and also with my clients is slightly different. What we do instead is we go in search of the value the emotion is attempting to offer. To help illustrate it, I'll give you an example I lived multiple times over the last probably five to seven years. As you'll know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, a goal I had for many years was to reduce my alcohol consumption. And I tried many, many times to do it without success. 
Situations I remember from those early attempts are things like parties or going out for dinners where I'd be the only one not drinking. Before we left, I'd feel stressed and not want to go. While other people looked at the wine list, I'd be sitting there looking at the soft drinks thinking, oh God, I'm such a loser. Then the wine would arrive and as people started drinking, they'd kind of loosen up and the jokes would start and people would be having fun and chatting away and there'd be an energy there that wasn't there before. And I'd be sitting on the outside of it. I'd be surrounded by people and feeling totally alone and sad. And of course, you can't stop the thoughts coming. It's because I'm boring. Nobody likes the non-drinker. Remember how you used to feel when there was somebody who wasn't drinking at the table? It's so uncomfortable. You're making everyone uncomfortable. In those situations, I never stopped to examine what is this emotion actually doing here? What purpose is it trying to serve? Instead, I just let it capsize my thoughts until the only solution I could see looked very much like a wine glass. But had I stopped to think about the value that the emotion was attempting to offer, perhaps I would have realized that all it was picking up was a threat to my belonging. The value it was trying to offer was to make sure I stayed part of the group. Well, great, that is important. And the ability to stand back from it and go, yes, that is important, you're right. And now I have to figure out a way to do that and stay on track then I no longer invite the thoughts that A, confirm that uncomfortable anxiety feeling, or B, produce loops that make me feel so bad about myself, the only way out is to cave. So that's step one. When you feel those feelings and they threaten to ignite all the thoughts that will make you judge and feel worse about yourself, that's the moment to stand back and find the value. Now you may need to think a little bit beyond the obvious because of course we could argue that all my emotions were trying to do was lead me towards the wine because that felt rewarding. The way you can tell whether or not you've hit on a really valuable explanation is that suddenly you kind of go, oh yeah, well yeah that is important. That totally makes sense and of course I want that. And in that moment you no longer feel the need to judge or squash or belittle the emotion. At that point, it's much easier to move to the next step, which involves unhooking from that emotion and finding the best feeling thought available to you. And from that perspective, you can begin to choose how to think. Of course, this part isn't always simple. We don't have full control of our thoughts, but the more you practice this, the more often you'll find that you can actually, in quite a lot of situations, choose a better feeling thought. So back to the dinner table. Once I thought about the value of belonging and the importance to me of my friendships and social interactions, I was able to unhook from that fear and turn my thoughts in the direction of what I wanted, which was the ability to socialize just as comfortably as I had in the past without the need for alcohol. Now I should say the ability to think like this is much more recent. In years gone by, I just caved. But last year I started thinking like this. I started thinking about the quality of the friendships I wanted and the kind of person I wanted to be. And when I filled my head with those thoughts, it became a lot easier to look up and make eye contact and listen to the conversation and smile and join the jokes and to realize it was never about the wine in the first place. But accessing that level of thinking, I don't think is possible while you're fighting with yourself internally. Now, once you're into the thought component, we know we're into conscious territory at this point, there are certain patterns I've noticed. Patterns in thoughts that will ultimately generally leave you feeling worse and patterns and thoughts that generally leave you feeling better. For this, there's a great quote that I love from Esther and Jerry Hicks. 
They say it is not possible for you to feel good about something consistently and for it to turn out badly. Just as it is not possible for you to feel bad about something consistently and for it to turn out well. Now, before I go into explaining the patterns that I've noticed, it's really useful just to reflect on that quote. Because when you think about every goal you've ever set and not achieved, the likelihood is that somewhere along the line you didn't feel good and you ended up giving up. Or if you've achieved something that ultimately, once you achieved it, you looked around and went, well, what the hell is this? Then you probably find that when you look back over it, you didn't feel great in the lead up either. Because in all likelihood, you were having to ignore and override all kinds of signals that were saying, this doesn't feel right, something's off. So not only is there power in better feeling thoughts, there's also power in the recognition that if you are consistently feeling bad in some way, something needs to change. And once you can identify what that is, you stand a much better chance of moving forward towards whatever it is you want. Which brings me to those patterns. The hallmarks of thoughts that make you feel worse can include any of these things. First, should. I should be able to do this. I should be feeling that way. I shouldn't have to be here. Ultimately, they're a form of resistance and that's the next hallmark. Thoughts that cause you to resist what's happening, how you're feeling, how you're thinking. Those type of thoughts just keep the internal fight alive. I saw a wonderful quote about this the other day. I can't remember where I saw it, but it was something like, you can't keep knocking on a wall expecting it to turn into a door. And that's basically what resistant thoughts do. It is a door, it is a door as you bang on the wall. The next hallmark is judgment, where we judge our emotions, we judge other people, we judge ourselves. And again, that keeps the internal fight alive. The final hallmarks are both about focus. Placing your focus on what you don't want in the situation helps keep those negative loops alive. So if I go back to that dinner table example, my focus was on being boring and being left out. And that was what I didn't want. In addition to that, focusing on things that are outside of your control can make you feel worse. So again, in that situation, I can't control whether or not people will see me as boring. And if I place my focus on their perception of me, I lose so much of my power in the situation. The answer comes in better feeling thoughts. These are the thoughts where you focus on what is happening, but you do so with acceptance rather than judgment. So in my case, recognizing, wow, this is really uncomfortable. It's weird how much more difficult this is than it would be with wine. And then you approach with compassion. If you were talking to somebody who you really cared for and this was important to them, how would you encourage them to think about it? You'd probably say something like, well, you're quite new to this. It's been years since you'd be sitting at a dinner table and not having a drink. You're going to need to give yourself a little bit of time to get used to it. And you'll see how when you start to think like this, the internal fight reduces and it is actually easier to think clearly enough to figure out how to stay on track with the things you want. Then the final hallmarks for better feeling thoughts are also about focus. Focusing on what you do want and focusing on what is in your control. So in my example, focusing on the fact that I do want belonging and I do want high quality friendships and I do want to feel like I fit somewhere. Well, the things that are in my control are how I interact with the people I care about. And so that's where I can place my attention. Now, like I said before, it's not always that straightforward. We don't have full control of our thoughts where we can just go, oh, I choose to think something else. But if you find it really difficult to access better feeling thoughts, something you may want to look into is something called acceptance and commitment theory or acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT. There's quite a useful book on this called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. And in it, he shares loads of really cool techniques for unhooking from troublesome thoughts. Although in ACT, it's referred to as diffusion. 
Either way, the thing they teach you in ACT is to say it doesn't actually matter whether or not the thought is true. It matters whether or not the thought is productive. Does it help you in any way? So here I'm calling that better feeling thoughts because I'm generally of the belief that when you feel better, you do better. And that's really it. Recognizing the value that emotions hold gives you enough opportunity to take hold of the thoughts that follow those emotions, give them power to allow you to feel better, which ultimately allows you to do better. And what I've discovered is that no situation and no relationship in my life has so far created a challenge that isn't better handled by taking this approach. I really hope this approach sparks some new ideas for you and opens some doors in your mind and some possibilities you hadn't potentially thought of before. And as always, I would love to hear from you with your thoughts and comments. For now though, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.